a real conversation and some hard truths. Gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Nathan Romas with you. And today, I've got a repeat customer. Joe Gamaldi is on the program. He was last on in July of 2022. Uh, Joe is the National Vice President of the Fraternal Order of Police and a sergeant with the Houston Police. Uh, no promotions since I last talked to you? Recently promoted to lieutenant. I lieutenant, got promoted yes. a couple months ago. Okay, sorry. I was thinking it might have been somebody else. Um, there's another guy I follow on LinkedIn, and he also just got a promotion. So I apologize. I didn't mention that's that. That's okay. That's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. <laughs> um, glad to have you back on. Almost a year to the, to the month. Um, so I imagine there's some updates, but I know you guys are still fighting the fight down there. So we'll get into a few things. Uh, some of the topics we're covered today were like recruitment, retention, which is a big issue up here as well. Sure. Uh, leadership. And then also some of the violence towards police because it's been an uh, insane year, uh, both sides of the border, unprecedented numbers of police uh, either getting killed. And I think the number that goes unreported is just the number of police that actually get injured on the job or get uh, assaulted or attacked. Uh, pe people don't have a clue what's going on. So, Yeah, no, I'm excited to be back. I can't believe it's been a year since I've been on. It seems like just yesterday, the last time we talked, but I I'm <laughs> certainly excited to be here. Uh, as always, it's great to talk to my good friends north of the border. Um, you know, uh, y'all don't be mad at us that we were beating up all your hockey teams this season. Okay. Like <laughs> y'all had a good run. You did what you could, you know what I mean? But, uh, it looks like the States, we, we got you this time, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what, when Vegas is in the league for like two or three years and they're always in the finals, I'm starting to think people are paid off at this point. There's no way this is uh, allowed. <laughs> You know, don't you love how they just came up with these new rules about how the expansion was going to work for Vegas? And all of a mm. sudden they got like an all-star team that makes <laughs> that within the first year is in the playoffs. Like, yeah. You know, you've never seen anything like this before. It just happened to work out in <laughs> Vegas. But, you know, I'm sure the fix wasn't in on it. It's all legitimate. It's all above board. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, We're totally. We're just trying to get a hockey team here in Houston. So, you know, if the Senators want to move down, we'll take them. <laughs> uh, if Phoenix wants to move over, I mean, whatever it takes, we just need a hockey team in Houston. There you go. You guys already have all the other major sports. Why not? Um, I know, right? Well, so yeah, you got promoted to lieutenant and uh, how's that been going? So what's your job on the day, uh, day to day now? It's going really, really well. Uh, they put me in charge of the largest night shift in the city of Houston, our West Side Division. Wow. So uh, I have an extremely, extremely young shift. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, just about everybody that I have on my shift for officers, it probably has less than three years on the department. Wow. Um, but they work. Mm -hmm. They are hard workers. They come to work every day. They're clearing one call and taking the next one. So I can work with that. Yeah. As long as everybody has a good work ethic, we can get through everything else. We can get them additional training when they need it. I can, you know, help them kind of shepherd them through their career. But the the biggest mission for me is being a lieutenant or, you know, for any leader on any police department is like, you know, have empathy for the people that are below you or, or that you're representing or the people that are on your department. Because a lot of young officers, like, 
you know, let's just be honest, their existence isn't great. You know, they have bad days off. They work a bad shift. The public may not support them. The politicians aren't behind them. And they entered law enforcement at a time that is very different from when a lot of us entered law enforcement. Yeah. You know, I, I became a police officer 18 years ago. It's a very different situation. So what I try to preach to my sergeants and other leaders in other police departments is like, listen, you need to care about these people because it's a very difficult existence right now. Mm -hmm. And they need to feel supported and they need to feel that what they're doing matters every single day. So I'm preaching at roll call every day. I appreciate you, everything you're doing. I appreciate the fact that you ran 15 calls last night. I appreciate <laughs> the fact that you wrote four or five reports. I appreciate that you're being proactive and you're making arrests because you're risking your livelihood, your freedom by just being a proactive police officer nowadays. Yeah. So I, I think that really sometimes get lost, particularly on us, the older generation of officers. We're just like, well, you know, nobody patted us on the back. We just showed up to work and did our job. And, and yes, that's fine. But we were a different generation. And the current generation wants to be acknowledged for their work. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's mm -hmm. just different. So we have to make sure that us who have been around for a little while are adapting to the newer generation and kind of uh, giving them that support that they really want and need, frankly. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say it, makes me mad or something but it's just kind of annoying when people say you know we get paid by the hour so i'm just you know i just take my call and that's it and i just ho hum i just do my job it's like that's i feel like that that's such a uh too lazy of an attitude and especially in a job like this where you can get killed I've, i mean people walk out the door and get into full-on fist fights right outside our police station like you never know when something's going to happen to you like we need people to be a little more vigilant, a little more aware, a little more engaged. And it is nice when you have that younger generation coming up and they are uh, a little more on the ball with things. One of the things I noticed with our service, and I do a ton of overtime in, in patrol, uh, we see a lot of the younger uh, uh, police training officers. So I'd say our, our average training officers out there are like three, four years on the job, which like, I mean, even at 10 years in, 12 years in, you're still seeing things daily that are brand new to you. And you're like, oh, I've never had that happen to me before. And you're just kind of figuring your way through it. Now, you know, that's the three and four year people telling the one and two year people how the job is. So I don't know if that's like a, a, a scary thing or it's just, it is just what it is. So we are experiencing the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we have trainers all over this department that have three years on, four years on, you know, less than five. And like you're saying, like, you got to have five years on just to have a, a uh, you know, a real good foundation of what you're doing. You know what I mean? And we all know that five years at a busy station is not five years at a slow station. Yes. You know what I mean? You can get a whole lot of experience of five years at a busy station and somebody who's got 15 years at a slow station may not have seen as much. So, mm -hmm. you know, five years doesn't always equate uh, one way or the other, but we're seeing the same exact thing. And, you know, it's just a product of what, what you kind of mentioned earlier, you know, recruitment and retention. You know, uh, we have a serious problem right now here in the States and, I, and I'm sure you guys are experiencing the same thing. It's not, you know, it's a three-pronged problem, okay? We have retirements are through the roof. Nationwide, it's a, it's a 45% here in the States. We have a resignation problem, mm. right? 
because resignations are well up over well over 20%, which didn't really used to be a problem for us. You know, most people, when they came into a department, like they were in it for the long haul, you know, they made a commitment, they were going to stay for a long time. You know, the newer generation, they, they don't feel that way. They come in and they're fine to be a police officer for a few years. They're also fine switching departments all the time. If that's what, you know, makes yes. them feel good, they feel like they're going to be treated better someone else. And I got to tell you, I respect the shit out of them yeah. because there's some of them that are just saying, I don't feel supported at X department. So I am going to pick up and leave and go to Y department where a lot of us are like, hey, I've kind of settled here. I'm putting into my pension. I've got this set up. I've got weekends off now. You know, I'm going to stick here. But that is not what the newer generation. I, and I respect it because they'll say, no, I'm going to go where I'm appreciated. And then finally, we have a, a, a recruitment problem. Just to give you an idea of how bad the recruitment problem is here. Mm. Seattle right now is offering $50,000 sign-on bonus wow. to anybody that would join the Seattle Police Department. Now, I would caution anyone listening, <laughs> don't do it. It's a trap. Don't fall for <laughs> it because you do not want to be a police officer in Seattle. I mean, uh, they over 500 officers have uh, retired and resigned from there since the you know summer of love in 2020, where they had all those riots. Mm -hmm. uh, they they have been unable to recruit people. Violent crime is through the roof. They're up. Um, they're at a 15 year high in 2022. Murders are up 61. percent So Seattle's a complete mess. Businesses are moving. I mean, even Nike closed their downtown shop. And I mean, as we oh. talk about Nike, they're about as woke and supportive yeah. as you can get for like you know the revolving door criminal justice system. They're like. Now nah, we got too many thefts going on. We got to close our downtown location. So, you know, here, and I mean, applications are down everywhere. Uh, you know, the New Jersey State Troopers reported that their uh, applications are down 90%. Chicago applicants to take the exam are down 83%. Statewide in Illinois, they're down 70%. Uh, Colorado did a study a couple of years back that 70% of agencies say they can't fill their academies. I mean, it's, it's really everywhere. And we're even seeing it in places that are supportive of law enforcement. They're, they're not really recruiting new people. What they're doing is they're stealing from other agencies and saying, we support law enforcement, come here. Okay. So they're solving their recruitment problem there, but it's still a nationwide problem that, that we're experiencing. And what I try to tell people is this is the worst uh, staffing crisis that I have ever seen a nationwide in 18 years. Hmm. And if we don't turn this around, there's no other way for me to define it other than to say our profession is dying. If more people are leaving than we're bringing in, th th this isn't going to end well. And, and the end result is for communities, th there's only going to be a couple options. Lowering standards, which has already begun. You know, hmm. We've already begun lowering standards at a whole bunch of places. And also cutting services. That's going to be the next step. It's already started in a lot of cities where they just say, we're not coming out at all for property crime. And at some point, it's going to be like, we're not coming out for violent crimes that have already occurred. You know, it's going to get to that point. I think that, uh, and you know, that's not fair to the taxpayers. Yeah. Because they're paying their taxes and they, they expect a certain level of service that now we can't provide because we can't fill the spots. And we know why we can't fill the spots, because we've continued to have, for the better part of a decade here in the States, treating police officers like crap and continuing to treat them poorly and not understanding the challenges that our job faces and not understanding that 
you know, just because an officer uses force doesn't mean it was excessive and doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with it. Just part of the job. Well, what's uh, what do they tell people that are, you know, getting told, hey, we're not coming out for that property crime? Do they offer an alternative or they just say, uh, we're not coming out and fade to the back? <laughs> uh, they tell them you can go online and you can fill out an online report to get a case number for your insurance company. That's it. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. And imagine like as a citizen, you know, somebody just burglarized your house. It's the worst day of your life. And a police officer is not even coming. Yeah. They just said, yeah, go online. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a crazy way to, to look at it. I mean, they, I don't get how or what they think the alternative is. And this is a discussion I've had with some people where they, you know, talk about defunding um, and, and even just get, get rid of the police completely. Well, what would you think the options are outside of that? Because you don't have to look too far back in history to see what it was like before policing was a thing. Um, we're going back before the Wild West. And like, as a, as a male, well, you better learn how to fight and protect yourself yep. and, and pick up a weapon because at any second, anyone could do anything to you. And for uh, women, it's like, well, you're, you're going to become property. I don't think you're going to join the fight. Like we only have to go back a couple hundred years to see what it was like before policing existed. So I don't think people really realize that. They think, oh, I have these rights now and these nice, safe things that keep me protected. And if we just got rid of police, those would continue. It's like, not a chance. You know, interesting you bring this up because, you know, they've experimented a little bit in some of the larger cities by, you know, like deploying these different... So in Washington, D.C., they deployed violence interrupters. By the way, I love that I'm doing quotations when there's no video. It's just audio. <laughs> <laughs> but I talk with my hands. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Uh, they, they put out violence interrupters, whatever the hell that is. I don't even know what they are. In the neighborhoods that they deployed the violence interrupters instead of police officers, guess what happens? Violence up. Violent crime went through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> there's, another, there's another interesting, and this is just anecdotal. It's just one incident, but it just it, it's such a, a stark reminder of how bad things can get. And I encourage people to go to my Instagram to check out this video, Shameless Plug. You can find me at Joe Gamaldi on Instagram. You can go on there where I break down a video where a social worker in Baltimore went out instead of a police officer and four or five men beat him within an inch oh, yes. of his life. This is the one where he's, he's next to the car and the kid was up yep. on top of the yep. car kicking his head while people are punching him. This is the reality, folks. Mm -hmm. This is where the rubber meets the road of the defund reimagining police, all the defund divas, all the buzzwords that they use to try to convince people that this is a good idea. This is where the rubber meets the road. There's another interesting video in, I believe, Los Angeles, where two people get into a road rage incident, they get out of the car, and they're beating the crap out of one another. There's two of those violence interrupters or whatever they are, you know, school crossing guards, whatever you want to call them, standing there watching the whole thing, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Wow. And I'm telling folks, that's the reality. That's what's going to happen if you keep marching down this path is that these because make no mistake, the most violent people in our community, the, the very real predators, they're not stupid. They know that all this continued antagonism towards police officers is going to cause us to not be able to have enough police officers to not be able to respond as quickly. They, they know these things. And when they see violence interrupters or social workers, they're going to take advantage. 
You know, because in this utopia that everybody thinks will exist without police officers, no. You know who's going to rule? The most violent of all of us. Yeah. Because they will have carte blanche to do whatever they want to people. To your point, you don't have to go back far in history to understand that the most violent will take over these communities. And, you know, the the sad part about it all, you know who's going to suffer the most out of everyone? Those in our underprivileged community Mm -hmm. and here in the States, because the rich folks, guess what we're all going to do? We'll just get private security. You know what I mean? Quote unquote rich. You know what I mean? People who have the means to hire a security company to come do uh, take care of their neighborhood. They're going to protect themselves. But our most vulnerable, they're going to be the ones that are hit the hardest because they're the ones that use police services the most. And look at the evidence here in the States. Since we started pushing this revolving door criminal justice system, since we started, you know, treating police officers horribly in this country, the homicide rate for black men is 12 times the rate of everyone else. But they only focus on trying to spin stats that say cops are killing them. It's like, no, it's not. You're getting killed. No, it is not police officers. By your own people in your own communities. In fact... They did a, uh, a a poll of and and like I'm not gonna get into like left right but I'm saying they just did a poll of people who identified as uh, left leaning in their political ideology mm-hmm. and they believed that it, by taking this poll there was like a staggering number believed that we shot unarmed black men to the tune of thousands a year like. Some people believed it was over 10,000. Some people believed it was 5,000. I mean, just massive numbers. You know what the number was last year? Like 16. Yeah. 16 unarmed black men were shot by police officers in this country. And that doesn't discount the fact that some of those were actively assaulting and killing a police officer at the time is if they didn't have a weapon. And anybody who's been a police officer knows some 6'5 dude, I'm 5'7, he doesn't want to go to jail. Yeah, I can fight a little bit, but you know he's probably going to get better at me. And and at some point, I may have to use lethal force. Yeah, well, so I was just in uh, Ottawa with our association and they had a guy presenting to us talking about, uh, they're basically trying to generate some more stats that are Canadian because a lot of our stuff comes from the US and, and for the most part, a lot of it is comparable. But we have our own issues or, or more unique issues and different demographics. Well, so this one professor... Uh, can't think of the name right now, but I I got him lined up to get on here at the end of the summer. Oh, great. And they're working on putting out some use of force stats. And you know what? It might even be useful uh, for you guys where it shows the difference in use of force between men and women, officers, and it shows the types of force they use, how quickly they escalate to certain types of force. Um, and then it, it talks about all the different things that you're just mentioning there. I don't think uh, the public doesn't have that real perception of how many interactions we have in a year, the types of force that are used. And uh, he also said something similar to what you're saying, where they asked like a class, like, you know, so maybe 30 people or something. They asked them, how many interactions do you think with police uh, end up in, it was either shooting somebody or using like a, a violent force on them. And it was one in four interactions that they believed wow. occurred with that. I was like, one in four? In the first like month alone of this year, we went to like 100,000 calls in Edmonton alone. Yep. Now you got all those other major cities across the whole country. I mean, 
you wouldn't be able to repopulate. <laughs> you you don't have a birth rate fast enough to keep up with those stats. So it's just crazy. People are way out in their their ideas of how this all works. Yeah, people don't understand that 99.99% of the time that we go out to calls, we don't use force at all. Mm, yes. At all. I mean, we're talking millions, hundreds of millions of interactions in a year in the States that, and like, you know, we obviously we have millions that are documented, but then hundreds, millions more that aren't documented. Just interactions with police officers that never generate a call slip, or that never generate a record with the department. But there's all of these interactions where no one is, you know, assaulted. Or and, you know, a, a popular narrative is that you're, you know, here in the States is that, well, you're just indiscriminately, you know, shooting and killing everyone. That, 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 that's just what y'all do. So I, I just break it down like this because I'm a really pragmatic thinker. If you really believe, if everybody in this country, activists, anybody, truly believe that we were killing people indiscriminately for no reason, you'd never call the police. Mm -hmm. You would never yeah. call them. A good point. And yet our calls for service are higher than they've ever been because people call police officers for everything now. So it's a load of bullshit to say you believe we're just out here to kill everyone when you still call us out there. So just stop. And there's so many videos out there of, uh, of our officers standing on protest line with people screaming in their faces, not even a protest line, at scenes where people are screaming at them, throwing things at them, treating them like absolute garbage and our officers aren't using force. So just spare me. The, the narrative is not backed by any kind of evidence. It's all an emotional argument that they like to make because they know they'll get the most attention that way. But it, it's not rooted in fact. And it, their behavior alone speaks to that. Well, and oftentimes those police officers are standing on those lines, protecting those people and their rights so that they can get shouted at in the face. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Yeah, think, of, think about that for a moment. Our officers stand there to protect their right, those, those residents' right, to protest the police officers. They, they give them, they're standing there saying, I'm going to make sure I protect you so that you have the right to say, I'm a piece of garbage, I'm a murderer, all this other stuff. Think about that for a moment. Yeah. You know, but, uh, what, you know, everybody knows I'm preaching the choir, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's just, it, it, it's, it's comical that anybody could ever say, like, we, we as law enforcement don't respect people. And, uh, but you know, that's, that's the place we've arrived in because we have charlatans out there who realize they can make a dollar or they can make uh, you know, they can make a name for themselves or they can get elected or they can get campaign donations if they badmouth police officers, regardless of whether it's true or not. Yeah. Well, we saw that recently with uh, a local mayor who got kind of called out on this exact issue and just walked off the podium. So Oh, I think I saw that video on your Instagram or 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 one of y'all's pages. Somebody sent it to me. Yeah. yeah didn't you want to answer the question? That's nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the exact thing that we, we deal with, though. Um, just kind of talking about this recruitment and retention stuff. Have you seen any kind of uh, innovative ideas? Anything that's really struck you? You're like, oh, wow, those people are doing something different or, or right. Because that's, that's kind of a search that's going on here right now. Um, they're not looking at... Th throwing money at people. Uh, but um, just how do you get people? Well, maybe we'll start with how do you get people to stay? Because if, if they're resigning, and that's something we have an issue with here is we have people getting kind of into year 20, uh, 20 to 25, and then they're, they're leaving. So they're not getting right to the end. But also we have people like 10 years, and they resign. 
Um, so what are you seeing out there if, if anybody's got some neat ideas to keep them? Yeah, so what I would say that I'm seeing that is, that is being most successful, like obviously we, we talk about money can, can play a role. You know, there, there's For retention sure. bonuses they can give, pay raises, you know, making sure that you are competitive in your marketplace because you're all competing for a smaller pool of people. And when people sit down and look at everything, money is a huge factor. But right underneath money, right here, is that work-life balance. And a lot of police chiefs, for whatever reason, whether because they're old school or whether they don't want to make changes, whatever the reason is, they're not embracing that. And they're, they're making a huge error. What needs to be a focus going forward is flexible schedules. So if you are on a 5-8 right now and you're a police chief, you need to be looking to go to 4-10s at the minimum. So you can advertise to people, you only need to work four days a week. That resonates with the younger generation. What do you mean I only need to go to four days? Uh, I only have to go to work four days a week. Or if you do the, the 12 hours rotating where it's like, you know, two on, three on, whatever the schedule ends up being. But yeah, you can say, you only got to go to work a couple days a week. That resonates with people big time, especially this younger generation. So you're, you're selling them on the money, but you're also selling them on, hey, man, you only got to come to work a few days a week. Yeah, they still have to work the hours, but it's one less time you got to drive into work, less you have to commute, yes. less time out of your home. It, these are all things, less gas you have to burn. You know, th these are all things that people are looking at now, especially since the pandemic when people worked from home for a period of time, not police officers, but people prior to their law enforcement career, they like that, you know? Another thing too, is not just that flexible schedule, but allowing more flexibility in how they use their time off and making sure you're giving them enough time off. Like if I were, if I, if I was king for a day at a police department, my whole recruitment strategy would be based around money, how many days off you get, and I'd be giving you as many days off as possible. What, how flexible your schedule can be, meaning four tens or you know twelve hour shifts, and also that we are very flexible in allowing you to take time off. Now, granted, mm -hmm. that is a balance because we still need to staff our departments and we still need to make sure. And we were just talking about how we're not even sending out units to certain calls anymore. That's the the that's the magic key to get to people to come to your department. It's it's the money, time off. Like people are forgetting how much. People value their time off and their work-life balance. You know, back when I first started out, Nathan, I, I'm sure you were the same. You never wanted to take a day off. Yeah. Because you thought you were going to miss something fun. So it's like, I'm coming to work. I still like, don't take days I off. I don't want to miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was one of those things where it was like, you wanted to be at work and you only took a day off if you had something going on, like a family function, whatever. It's not like that anymore. A lot of the younger guys and, and guys and gals, and there's nothing wrong with this. I want to make this clear. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. They'll take a day off to just hang out at the house. Mm -hmm. I just want to hang out. And as I'm getting older and I have a family, I want to take days off just to spend time with my daughters. You know, that, that's just, I don't really necessarily would have anything planned. I just want to spend more time with them. And I think work-life balance has become more and more important to people. And as departments, I think a lot of departments have been very, very slow to evolve to that. But they're, they're uniquely suited to give more time off, to have flexible schedules, and they should take advantage of that. And a lot of them are not right now. Well, I wonder, too, you know, that could just be a, a change in 
technology, a change in lifestyle. I mean, everything nowadays, uh, people have more means. Uh, you know, most families have two cars. People have more money. Things are cheaper, generally, outside the inflation right now. But uh, <laughs> people can, you know, just pick up and go away for a weekend where I remember growing up, wow. Uh, one parent worked in the household. Mom was a homemaker. We have one vehicle. We didn't have money for more than that. None of the friends that I had really had anything different. So when you got to go away for a weekend, that, that only happened once in a while. Now it, it seems like everybody I work with is gone every single time they got a day off. They all got some sort yeah. of trailer toys. Uh, so it's just, it's different lifestyle. So people want more of that work-life balance. You have to be able to give that to them. Yeah, that's what's going to set departments apart. The departments that figure out that quicker are going to be the ones that continue to poach people. And of course, just the supportive communities makes a difference as well. Like I said, we're seeing in the states a lot that supportive states, supportive communities are having a a lot of success pulling people from uh, other departments where they're not necessarily supported by, uh, by the you know, the administration itself, the police chiefs there, but also the the elected officials and the community as a whole. Uh, one thing I was, and I asked this last time we talked, was about international recruiting, about talking about uh, recruiting Canadians. I mentioned this again on somebody's post, and then I got accused of basically uh, trying to recruit mercenaries. And I was like, well, I, I'm not talking about bringing mercenaries down there, <laughs> but it's just uh, Australia has a big uh, international recruitment uh, drive that they're doing right now. I think it was they're looking for 500 people over the next five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada did that a while ago, maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago. But I've never seen that from the States. Is Do you think, is there a reason why the US never really, I've never heard of it or seen it from that side of things? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that there's a specific reason why. I think, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, law enforcement here, I think most states, you know, would say that they want someone to be a U.S. citizen in order to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because I think, you know, we would run into challenges in some states where people wouldn't feel comfortable if a U.S. citizen wasn't the one arresting them. I don't, you know, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, honestly, you know, it's getting to a point where if we don't fill spots, you know, I'm, I'm wanting anybody, you know what I mean? Like if you've got prior law enforcement experience and you want to come down from Canada and be a police officer here, like, come on, we'll get you a visa. We'll get your work visa. Let's put you to work because, uh, you know, at some point when you can't fill any of these spots, I mean, what the hell are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? Well, yeah, you need bodies from somewhere. Yeah. And, and I'd much rather have a well-qualified police officer who's got years experience than taking someone who just a few years ago would not have passed our standards to be a police officer. And we're making them police officers now. We're doing that right now. Like most departments have lowered their standards and they're taking people that they would not have taken just a few years back. And if you think that those chickens aren't going to come home to roost, like you're dreaming. Like when you take people who are less qualified, it's going to lead to problems. It's only going to exacerbate the problem of trust between the community and officers Mm. as these individuals who never should have been police officers in the first place now will screw up and we have to answer for it. And we'll look back and say, well, we told y'all this was going to be a problem when you were treating us so poorly. Well, we don't want to talk about that. We just want to talk about the problem we have right now. But I warned everyone. I've been sitting here yelling it from on high, but what are you going to do? That's one of the things that kind of, 
annoys me about a lot of the narratives now where these people are putting all these ideas out there in the public and they're just throwing everything. And then you just know when all this kind of shit hits the fan, they're going to be in some other country, in some villa somewhere. They're going to they're gonna be long gone, leaving everybody uh, to their chaos. And, and people are going to be like, oh, well, we told you. It's like, well, those people are gone. They don't care about you now. Yeah, and, and the frustration from my point of view, and I'm sure you share the exact same frustration, is that, you know, you have elected officials or these people that are writing policy. They're not listening to the subject matter experts, which, you know, shockingly is us. Yes. Duh. Like, you're not listening to us. Like, when you want to deploy violence interrupters or you want to do bail reform, or you want to just let people out of jail over and over again, we're sitting here telling you that this is a bad idea. We're sitting here telling you that proactive policing works in reducing crime, that broken windows theory works, that vehemently prosecuting violent criminals works, that supporting and funding your police departments is a key to make sure that your communities are safe. You're not listening to us. Mm. You're just off doing this grand social experiment, a failed one, that is ruining our urban communities here in the States. So you've moved forward. It's failed miserably here. But yet now they won't even admit that they failed and they just keep marching down the path because they can't admit they're wrong. And we're standing here screaming as a subject matter expert saying, we told you this was going to be an abject failure. You now have statistical data to show you that it's a failure. I mean, 2021, 16 American cities had their highest murder rate in recorded history. The last two years in the States, 2021 and 2022, we had over 20,000 homicides. We haven't seen those numbers since the mid '90s, Jeez. and yet we continue to walk down this path. And I, I, you know, I'm sorry, but what I tell people now is, if you still support these, you know, far left policies that are like a revolving door criminal justice policies, you don't give a damn about your communities, and you don't give a damn about people because you're actively supporting policies that are killing. People. Yeah, well, and you guys have an election next year. Right. President election is next year. Up, oh, Correct. It's coming up. I. Wow. I just don't even know what's going to happen during that. Oh, I'm glad I'm living a little bit north <laughs> to see just how crazy it might be. Who, who knows at this point? You know, it, uh, it it is so it's it's turned into a complete crowded field on the Republican side. Uh, the Democrat side have challengers to to President Biden. I mean, the whole thing is going to be this jumbled mess. So until we get to a point where we actually have two candidates to choose from, you know, it, it's going to be a mess until we get to that point. But, you know, what we really need in this country is real leadership. Yeah. Real leadership. Um, somebody who's not afraid to maybe upset both sides of the aisle with their decision making. But mostly we also need someone that identifies with 80 percent of our country, which most of our country, believe it or not, you know, despite watching our cable news channels, 80% of us live our lives in the middle. Yes. Meaning most of us identify as either center right or center left. And most of us agree on a lot of points. We may disagree on a few things, but it's these far left and far right of the both parties that are pulling us apart. And we've allowed them to be the loudest voices in the room. And like, make no mistake, both sides hate police. On the far left, they completely want to defund us. They hate us. They believe we're Nazis, we're fascists, whatever they may say we are. We're the worst thing ever. The far right doesn't believe we should exist and believes that we should all be privatized and that, that you know, they shouldn't have to pay our pensions. We shouldn't get medical benefits. So, you know, it's, it's a mess. But most of us live our lives in the middle. 
Yeah. And you know what? I think end of the day, and that is a good message too. I mean, people need to realize that uh, what they see on the news is definitely not not the whole story. If anything, it's, it's the dramatized portion of, of life because they, you know, they want to get their clicks or views or whatever medium they're on. They, they need the, the attention. Um, talking about leadership, one of the things I, I was wondering, and, and we were talking about this just before getting the recording going, was um, kind of with the local level uh, politicians. So is that, you know, where would you start if you were trying to change minds? Um, for me, it's kind of at the local level because those are the people I have to deal with on the day to day. I can't go and change the prime minister's mind. I, I think he's pretty set in his ways, but um, <laughs> maybe he could change. Uh, but for us, it's, it's starting local and like looking at getting city councillors on a ride along or any of the local leaders, especially of the groups that are, you know, uh, maybe anti-police or, or against police. Um, I, I think at least extending the invite for them to come out and see the job is worthwhile because if they decline that, then, then it's like, okay, well, you know what, who's making the real effort to change here? This is something that we hear up here a lot where they talk about, you know, police reform. And it's always police need to do this, police need to change that, they need to fix things. But what are you doing on the other side of the aisle? You know, what is the community doing to improve relationships, to act better, to teach their children to act better so they don't interact with the police in a negative way? Um, but where do you see maybe the, the, the foundations of change beginning? Yeah, so... Uh, to your point, all politics are local. So, and that's also where, so quick side tangent, that's also where there is the biggest changes that you can make within your own community. Everybody always focuses on national politics. The biggest changes that you'd want to see in your own community, like for us, is like district attorneys, city council members, judges, school board officials. Yes. These are all people that could have a real impact on your life and your children's lives. You should be paying very close attention but in fact, it's always the inverse. We're always paying attention to like the federal leaders and our national leaders, as opposed to very much focusing on our local leaders, because they're going to have a bigger impact on you and your family's life. Um, but to your point, I think a good starting point is always city councils and mayors, inviting them out, like you said, the ride-alongs, inviting them to police training, shoot, don't shoot scenarios. That's what we call it here. I don't know if you guys have the same thing or, or, or just real life scenario training scenarios where there's role players and they can kind of like understand and feel the stress and the pressure. Like those things are invaluable. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Nathan. Go ahead. Uh, sorry to cut you out there. I just, I, I want to jump in before I forget it is the only thing I, I thought with setting up the scenarios is they, they could always just say, well, you set that up, you know, you made it harder than it was going to have to be, or you told them to do this. So that's why I like the ride-alongs more so because then it's like, well, I can't tell that person to do drugs and act that way. So I just, I feel like that's... Sure. I think I think you could do both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Take them on the ride-along, but also take them through the training. Um, I think local community leaders are also very, very good. Um, and whether that's, you know, preachers, pastors, or, uh, you know, even activists that may be anti-law enforcement, like you talked about. Um, Invite them along, but at least, as you said, you've extended the invitation and said, hey, we want to work on these things. If you don't want to come out, and at least, if nothing else, you can call them out in the future and say, we offered for you to come out and be a part of this. You chose not to. So are you really interested in changing anything? 
Or are you just interested in standing and banging your head on the pulpit? Mm. So like something we did and, and to talk about, you know, behavior on the other side, because that is often just not even a part of the conversation. And, and as many interviews as I've done talking about it, and I'll continue to talk about it, nobody ever wants to say that people are accountable for their actions anymore. Yes. That the actions of the suspect directly impacted the amount of force that an officer used, the, the response that the officer had. We're reacting to what that person is doing. We don't just show up and start beating people up. Like, that's not what we do. And we have plenty of body camera footage and surveillance footage to show you that. So the point is, is that people need to listen to police officers when they're out on a scene. The time to argue is not they're out on a scene. You argue it in court. You argue at these other places. But it's not that it's not there and it's not to resist police officers. But something we did was we actually got legislation passed in Texas that high school students had to go through a class before they got their driver's license on how to conduct themselves on a traffic stop. Okay. And that was like a huge win for us because we felt like a lot of people, for whatever reason, are not teaching their kids how to interact with police officers or they're teaching them very wrong. Like you should yell at them or you should do this, you do that. All that does is escalate. You have a responsibility as a parent or community members to teach children how they should be interacting because by the time they're 16, 17, the die's kind of cast yes. on how they're going to you know, interact with police officers. So if we can get to them younger and have classes in middle school where we talk about how we should interact with police officers, where we have it before they get their driver's license, because I'll tell you right now, I don't know about you, Nathan, but I was sat down by my parents and like, if you get stopped by the police, this is how you are going to be. You're going to be respectful. You're going to keep your hands on the steering wheel. You're going to listen to them. And, you know, oddly enough, you will have people say, well, you know, you never got the talk from your parents because you're white. Hmm. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, my parents had a very clear conversation about how I should interact with police officers. Same you know here. what I mean? Yeah. And, and that should be a conversation everybody is having because we should treat people that you should be respecting police officers and let's interact with them in a respectful way. And like, we got to own our stuff. We have to be respectful to the kids, which I think at times police officers were not up to that task. I believe there are times where we're much more respectful to an adult than we are to a child because we look at them as if they're not, you know, uh, old enough or established enough to get that respect, but respect's a two-way street. So we have to show them an equal amount of respect as well. We got a role to play. Have you ever... Um... Uh, speaking about like uh, traffic stuff kind of made me think of a guest I had on here recently, Derek Dotson is the black sanctuary. He has a new book, the police and me. And he talks all about that. He goes, talks to kids in schools. He's from the Seattle area. Um, I'll have to send you the link for the podcast I did with him. Okay. He was an awesome guest. He, and he comes from a background where his family was distrusting of the police. Uh, his cousin was killed by police his cousin uh, ended up having a gun on him and, and was in and out of jail and stuff. And he got uh, killed by police, but um, he went the way of law enforcement and turned a lot of things around. And he's just an awesome story. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, in the conversation I had with him, it comes down to the individual. And you're like you're saying, you're responsible for your actions at some point. You have to take control of your own situation in your own life. And that's a through line right from uh, uh, people I talked to in the U.S. through Canada. I had a guest on uh, that I was talking to from Ghana, from Africa. 
and just about some stuff going on over there. And it came down to the same thing. It's like, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you are responsible for your own actions and take control of your own life. It's all about that. Um, as for the leadership, when yeah, one of the things that uh, I think you sent one of the points over that we could talk about was talking about the chiefs need to uh, speak up, be more vocal about defending officers and the profession as a whole. One thing I like to do when I, I'm talking about solutions or, or if I'm going to critique somebody is I try to look at myself first sure. and say, hey, what can I do? You know, am, am I you know, causing issues that make it an issue for the, the person, you know, the chief or somebody else to make change? So one of the things I was thinking was, at least maybe from um, the union perspective, or even individual officers, I guess, but is there anything that members or the unions can do to help them stand up and to help them have a stronger voice? Like, is there a way to support them so that they can be stronger? Or is it just, they're just not doing their job because it's all political kind of? Well, I, I mean, you know, I always start at the top. Heavy is the mantle of leadership. So if you want to be a police chief, you know, there's going to be pressure. Yeah, good okay? point. That's your job. You know, you decided that you wanted to do this and you wanted to be a police chief. And my biggest frustration or criticism is, you know, I understand they worked their whole lives to get to this position. I understand that they're under political pressure from a mayor or city council that hired them. Okay, so like, let, let me say that I give them all of those things. I, I can be empathetic and I can put myself in their shoes to a mm. certain standpoint. But you have a responsibility to the people that you lead. You signed up for this. You wanted to be police chief. You have a responsibility to support them. You have a responsibility to defend them when they're following policy, training, and the law. Yes. And even if that means you losing the job you worked your whole life for, well, guess what? You signed up for it. You wanted to be police chief. Yeah. But that, that's my criticism. Is what, And one more thing. Every police chief in this country and your country should be speaking out daily about the violence against law enforcement. Non-negotiable. You are seeing, we have had over 175 police officers shot in this country to date right now. We had 340, uh, 330 last year, 340 the year before. These are historic numbers since we started tracking this data eight, nine years ago. And the only reason we don't have more dead cops on our hands is just because technology's gotten better. We have better vests. We have better medical treatment. We all carry tourniquets. We've gotten better, mm -hmm. okay? Otherwise, we'd have a host more dead cops in this country. So why is it that every police chief is not every interview they've given talking about the violence against law enforcement? At, at bare minimum, at, at the complete ground floor, they should all be doing that with one unified voice, continually telling elected officials, you need to calm down your rhetoric towards police officers. You need to tell people they're not shooting police officers. I mean, my God. All I've asked the president of our country is to put out statements condemning violence against law enforcement, an extremely low bar. And he can't even do that as our president of the United States. That's my criticism there. But as a police chief, they need to be speaking out. Um, and, and if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to take care of your people, and now I'm not saying, because there will be someone who listens to this who says, oh, well, you just want a chief to support y'all no matter what and look the other way. It's not what I'm saying. Police chiefs have a job to do. Police officers aren't perfect. We step out of line. We do things wrong sometimes. But we need to be held accountable for our action. We have to own our shit. 
Just like we talk about everybody being accountable for their own actions. Yeah. We need to own it when we're wrong. And sometimes as a profession, and I don't mean on bigger stuff, but like on smaller stuff, how many times does a cop admit that he was actually wrong in a situation where he gets in trouble at an apartment where he did something wrong? <laughs> they never want to say it. They always have like a story about what happened. But the point I'm making is that like, you know, I'm not saying that you should look the other way as a police chief. But what I am saying is that when your officers are doing right, you have to support them. You have to, even if that means you losing your career. That's the risk. That's what happens when you get to the top of the mountain. Or maybe at least giving them the benefit of the doubt because they're in your organization. They were trained by your organization. They are trained by your training officers. You know, it's all comes back to the organization that they're representing, that they're wearing the crest out there for. So you should want to stand up for them because otherwise it's, it's a very poor reflection on what you're running. And Nathan, what's what's the popular talking point sometimes from chiefs when a guy, so an officer, a guy or a gal gets in trouble and they said, well, I, you know, I wanted to get rid of them, but the union kept protecting mm-hmm. them. And the union kept their job and the union did this. The union did that. You know what I like to say to that? Hold on. Just just one second. We didn't set the standards of hiring this person. We didn't do the background investigation on this person. We didn't train this person. We didn't decide that this person, uh, you know, what discipline level that you should give this person. Those are all decisions made by the police chief. You laid the foundation for all of this. All we simply did was protect their rights when you discipline them. And if we won that case, it probably means that you did a bad job proving your case or you were wrong to discipline the person in the first place. Because if you had the officer dead the rights, you would have won an arbitration or whatever uh, mechanism y'all use. Yeah. You know, that would have been the case. But don't blame us when some officer is still on the department, when you're the one who hired them, who trained them, who put them through the academy, who put them through field training, all these other things, or didn't do a good investigation when you should have. Well, you can even add in the policymakers, the politicians, the ones that are complaining about these police doing things. It's like... You're the ones who make the laws. Yep. If you don't like it, you know, you don't want us enforcing in a, a certain law like obstruction or, or any kind of tickets, then remove it off the books. We won't do it. You are preaching gospel to me right now. I, ju- I was on a podcast the other day and I was talking about this exact issue. The issue was uh, traffic stops for minor violations. Yes. Right. And people get upset and say, what's well, wrong that police officers are doing this? And I can't believe they stopped them for that. Hold on, okay? We are simply an arm of the executive branch. We do not make the laws. That is the legislature. So let me be clear about something. If you don't want us to make traffic stops anymore for minor violations, go to your legislature and tell them to change the law. Now, don't get mad at us when crime goes through the roof because we're no longer doing those traffic stops that ultimately yields us getting guns off the street, getting drugs off the street, and a whole host of picking up people with warrants because the Kansas City gun experiment back in the 90s showed that one out of 28 traffic stops got an illegal gun off the street. 47% of guns taken off the street in New York City in 2020 were done during traffic stops. You don't want us to do them? That's fine, but don't complain when crime goes through the roof and don't blame us, okay? But don't blame police officers. We are simply just enforcing the laws that are on the books. Take it up with the legislature. You're 100% correct.
Uh, one of the things I was going to ask too was, uh, and I don't think I asked this before, but when you, so you go to Washington and do the lobbying as part of the FOP? Yeah, so we have an office in Washington with a lobbyist and president, our president, President Yost, does most of the work in Washington, mm. D.C. I go occasionally, but it's not a part of my normal normal stuff that I do. Okay, I, I'm just kind of wondering, like, what is that pro, what does that process look like? So when you go there, do you get scheduled to meet with certain uh, politicians or whatever level they might be? And, and then you're just kind of saying, hey, here's our issues. So what does it look like yeah. out there? Yeah, so generally it's it's meetings, but it's also it's dinners, it's phone calls, it's emails, it's working with their staff and then actually meeting with the officials. You know, you have meetings in their office, wherever you can get time with them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the biggest things we're pushing right now is uh, the Protect and Serve Act, which is uh, very, very near and dear to my heart. And essentially the Protect and Serve Act would make it a federal crime to knowingly assault a police officer. Now, I'm sure some of your listeners are saying, well, why do you need a federal law that says that when that's all on the books at the local level? I agree. But we have rogue DAs in this country that have just stopped enforcing the laws on the books. They'll refuse to take cases. They dismiss cases or they cut sweetheart plea deals for people that are shooting police officers, shooting at police officers. And we want to be able to take those things out of their hands, give it to federal prosecutors where there's actually, it's day for day time here in the States if you get federal time. Meaning if you're sentenced to 10 years, you're doing every bit of that 10 years in federal prison. Oh, really? And I believe okay. that if we were to institute the Protect and Serve Act, we'd have a much bigger deterrent effect on people who shoot at police officers and are shooting cops if they know you're going to jail, federal prison for 15 years if you shoot a cop. Your life is over, 20 years, whatever it may be. That, to me, will have an effect, a cooling effect on the violence we're seeing against law enforcement. So that's a huge issue for us. Also, uh, another big issue is the Social Security windfall elimination, which doesn't affect people in Canada, so I don't want to get into it too much. But essentially, we all have pensions and we have Social Security as well. A lot of police officers have paid into Social Security for a very long time, but they get a reduced benefit than everybody else simply because they have a pension, which is unfair. They pay in the same amount. So Nathan and Joe paid in the exact same amount into uh, uh, Social Security. Joe's a police officer. Nathan is just a, a regular you know, factory worker. Nathan gets full Social Security benefits. I don't, even though I paid in the same amount. You know what? I, I, well, I'd be the wrong person to ask about this, but I think we have something similar. Like It's either the... No, it's not yeah. fair to police officers, especially ones that have dedicated their lives to protecting their communities, dedicated their you know, sacrifices for themselves, their families. You know, we just want what's fair. But th those are kind of the major issues that, that we're lobbying right now in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, one of the last things I kind of want to make sure we get to was uh, just kind of on this violence with uh, toward police. But um, one of the things I was thinking might uh, kind of help this and change some of the narratives as a project that I'm working on up here is with one of the local universities and getting some police stories out there. So I kind of brought up the idea to them uh, and said, hey, you know, we have all the special forces and the, the military guys, they, they've got movies and books out there, all this stuff about killing bin Laden or uh, Afghanistan or wherever else that, you know, people have gone and, and things they've done. You don't see that for police at all. And... I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe some of that is just because it's, it's 
they're talking about stories of uh, maybe some really hard things, violent things that happen to our own citizens. But I think people would be uh, much, much more interested in it because it is in our own backyard. But getting the stories out there about police. So we're partnering uh, some retired members to start with students at the university level. And they're basically writing their stories. So I thought, you know, what are some, are there any options like that in the US? Or have you ever heard of anything like that where you kind of kind of get more police stories out there? And I think the younger you go, the better. I mean, the more influence you have in the schools, the younger that you can talk to people, that's always a better option. But is there any kind of programs where they put stories out? Yeah, I mean, you know, we do it from the FOP standpoint on our social media platforms, like putting out positive stories about Mm. police officers and like, you know, heroic things that have been done. Uh, James Patterson, uh, who's a famous author, just wrote a book, uh, Walk the Blue Line, which is actually um, stories from individual officers that they've kind of curated and put into a book, which I thought was really good. Okay. But I would love to see more of it. You know, I, I would love to see more books more articles written about the positive things we do. You know, we do the best we can from the FOP and in our following that we have on our platforms. Um, but also, you know, gosh, could we get like movies or TV shows that show us in a heroic light instead of like, <laughs> yes. like every TV show or movie you watch now is pretty much like, oh, it's the dirty cop. It's the rogue cop. It's this, yeah. that. Can we just get like, like some good show? I mean, it's been probably years since they just put out like a good show positive about law enforcement. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's always some you know detective who's six times married and he's he's an alcoholic. He's an alcoholic. Hates everybody. Yeah, you know, he's he's <laughs> planning evidence for the greater good though because he's catching this man. Like, like that, that. Can we just have like a like a really good show about the camaraderie that we have, about the bravery that we show, but also like maybe the mundane stuff we deal with. Like, you know, I think uh, what was the one that was about the LAPD is the most recent one, but even that was probably like. 15 years ago with Southland. Mm. It was halfway decent. Um, but I mean, my goodness, would it be too much to have a, a good police show and a good police movie? Well, what? I, yeah. And you know, what I'm kind of hoping to achieve with this project and there's ideas for some further ones, but it's to, th- the first one might be like that telling short stories, but what I'd ultimately like to get to is, is telling somebody's entire story, like chronologically. Yeah. Here's what, uh, you know, growing up, here's where I went. This is policing right from the beginning to the end and just showing people like a complete picture of what it's like to be a police officer and some of the stuff you go through um, both on and off the job. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be done there. I might have to reach out to you and get some uh, maybe some guests or, or people we can have on that, uh, in that program. Yeah, I love it. So, um, but yeah, it, anything else? Uh, we're just kind of coming up to the end of the hour here and Anything you got going on that you want to make sure you you plug here and tell people where else to follow you? There's Instagram. <laughs> yeah, just uh, you know, follow me on Instagram at Joe Gamaldi on Twitter at Joe Gamaldi on Facebook. Uh, Joe Gamaldi, National Vice President of the FOP. Uh, please follow. Give it you know, give it a share when you see stuff that that you like. I put out a lot of content and videos and stuff like that uh, just to keep defending law enforcement uh, anywhere that we need help because. Uh, you know, although things have gotten a bit better over the last year or two, like we were in a really bad spot, not just a short period of time, and it can always come back around. So we need to remain vigilant, continue to defend the hardworking men and women of law enforcement. And, I, you know, I know a lot of your listeners are police officers. I know a lot aren't, but 
to all the police officers out there, please, please back each other up. Keep your head on a swivel. People are thinking less and less of shooting us and less and less of killing us. And we need to be on high alert. And also take care of yourselves. Um, and I don't just mean mentally, you know, obviously mental health is a very important issue in law enforcement. Make sure you're, you know, using peer support. You're talking to friends. If you need more professional help, reach out to someone. It's okay to not be okay, you know, um, but also physically. Um, make sure you're working out, eating a healthy diet, uh, because this job is so stressful and it takes such a toll that you need to be operating at your optimal level to be able to handle all that. And, you know, if you're working out all the time, you're burning off that stress, you're burning off that anxiety, you're ultimately going to be healthy mentally, uh, mentally. you're going to have a better feeling about yourself in general. And I think too often we're so busy taking care of everyone else that we forget to take care of ourselves and the empty well gives no water. Trust me. Yes. So you guys, please, please take care of your mental health, but don't discount your physical health. You know, eat a healthy diet. Make sure you're working out. Just do something. Don't just go to work, sit around all day, eat junk. You know, you're not sleeping. You're taking tons of energy drinks. I'm a hypocrite now that <laughs> I drink energy drinks, but I'm just, I'm just saying we're we're bang. You just posted something the other day about energy drinks. Yeah, yeah. So you got a fridge full. <laughs> my so my favorite is ghost energy drinks because the flavor is amazing. It's low in calories. But I also uh condition supplements, which is owned by first responders and operated by them. Uh they sent me a care package of their powdered stuff and it was badass. It was really good. Oh, really? So nice. um, you know, whatever everybody likes, but really just please take care of yourself. Nobody else is going to look out for you. So, you know, make sure we're looking out for one another. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on here. I'm just going to stop the recording. So hang on the line for a second. Got it.